Welcome back to Amerisogyny. I'm your host, Hannah Blue. You're listening to episode 47. What is catastrophizing? Yes, today we're going to talk about positive and negative thinking. Catastrophizing or catastrophic thinking in a nutshell is thinking the worst possible outcome will be. People who always believe the glass is half empty. Catastrophizing is also known as cognitive distortion. Now, it's not a mental health condition, but a mental health diagnosis is a precursor to developing negative thinking and even suicide. It may start small and then escalate. People who suffer from anxiety or depression often engage in catastrophic thinking. Here's some signs to look for. Persistent negative self-talk, racing thoughts, an overwhelming sense of fear or anger. These are people who think nothing good can come to them. They don't deserve to have good people in their lives who love them. They don't deserve a good job. They don't deserve to graduate from college. Whatever the case may be, it is a pattern of negative thinking that doesn't help anyone. And some people fool themselves into believing if they already accept the negative, they won't be disappointed in the future when things don't work out. And that's not true. There is a passage that I absolutely love. It is Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I love this passage so much. I put it on our packaging. Our mailing boxes for 21 Blue Lash are so beautiful. That phrase is the icing on the cake. It's the pretty bow on the packaging. If you're a Christian, and you're familiar with your word, you know, do not worry, do not fear. It's all throughout the Bible. I don't know if it's in there 365 times, but it's in there a lot. And there's a reason for that. What you think will be. I know we've heard the phrase, you are what you eat, but you are what you think as well. The power of positive thinking is not a gimmick. Think of your thoughts as a conductor on the train that is life. If your thoughts are negative, that train will be derailed. But if your thoughts are positive, nothing can throw you off course. Remember in a previous episode, I told you about influencers who committed suicide. People love looking at and focusing on the outside, but it's thoughts that we can't see ruminating on bad things, negative outcomes, is literally life-threatening. Let me give you some examples of catastrophic thinking. These are very relatable scenarios. You break up and you begin to think, I have failed. I am never going to find anyone who loves me. This is it for me. That is irrational. And it's untrue. A positive way to look at it, this relationship was not working for me. 
And just because it didn't work out, that doesn't mean I won't be in a better relationship in the future. For students, if you're an overachiever, you have parents pushing you to be the best, sometimes too hard. You may think, I failed this test. I'm going to flunk out of college. I'm never going to do what I want to do in life. Irrational and untrue. It's one test. A positive perspective. I'll study harder for next time. And I'll pass. And I'll go on and live the life I want in the career I want. Surgery. I'm having surgery soon. What if they nick an artery? What if it takes me a long time to recover? A positive outlook is this is a good hospital with good doctors. And I've been going here for 10 years and have never had a problem. So I'm not going to have one now. Having the ability to control and direct your thoughts changes the course of your life. So how do you overcome catastrophic thinking? Number one is being aware of it. Two, micromanage it. CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, can help with that. And when I say micromanage, I don't mean being delirious and thinking only good things are going to happen to you. We can acknowledge that bad things happen, but it doesn't mean bad things happen all the time. Being mindful of who is in your circle and what you're feeding your mind helps too. If you're searching the web and all you engage in are negative posts, negative websites, guess what? Eventually, you're going to start thinking negatively every day because that's what you're feeding your mind. Believe it or not, self-care works. Exercising, meditating, writing your thoughts down and not on Facebook, jotting them down in a place that's just for you, that works. Recognizing irrational thoughts and knowing when to stop them are crucial as well. Let me give you a physical example. When you have time, get a rubber band, put it around your wrist, and wrap it tight. And every time you have a negative thought, pop the rubber band. You'll find every time you pop that rubber band, it hurts. That's exactly what happens when you think a negative thought and allow it to persist. You are hurting yourself. Sometimes physical health can lead us down a rabbit hole of negative thinking. You might be in pain, but instead of saying it's never going to go away, turn it around. Say I'm hurting today, but that doesn't mean it's going to get worse or I'm going to feel this level of pain for the rest of my life. Take control of your thoughts. What's most imperative If you have an underlying mental health condition, get treatment for it. It could be depression, anxiety. Some people experience negative thinking after they have been exposed to trauma. Some people have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. OCD is based on repetitiveness and compulsions. And a person with OCD may easily fixate on negative things. Be mindful. Treatment helps. Again, who's in your circle and what you feed your mind is crucial. Let me give you an example. Rapper Glorilla recently said, all men cheat. You guys already know I'm going to give my opinion. That's her reality. 
just because she got cheated on, she doesn't speak for every man on this planet. Now, most people with common sense know to just brush her off, but there are some people who are very impressionable. And believe it or not, kids look up to rappers. Now, that shouldn't be because some of them are very irresponsible in what they say and do. But someone with catastrophic thinking can look at what she said and take it as the gospel truth. Oh my God, I was just cheated on. There's no point in looking for anybody else because nobody's going to remain faithful to me. That is ridiculous. There are plenty of faithful men out there and they deserve their flowers. This is why it's so important not to engage with toxic thinking or toxic people. The last thing you want to happen is their thoughts becoming your thoughts. Cognitive distortion is treatable with therapy and medication. Now we're going to move on from catastrophic thoughts and talk about something else. Now it's time to get ready for our first destination, and it's Texas. This story enraged me. It's about a little girl with Down syndrome who was assaulted because the substitute teacher decided to wash her mouth out with soap. The Cambridge School is a school for students with special needs. Harmony is the victim. She's 13 years old and she does speak. I believe cameras should be in every classroom, especially classrooms that have kids with special needs. Anyone who knows me or is familiar with our brand, 21 Blue Lash, we are firm advocates for people with highly specialized needs. And putting soap in the mouth of a 13-year-old child with Down syndrome is reprehensible. Harmony's mother is Lachey Celestine, and she says, You can't unsee that video. Like you really assaulted my baby by putting soap in her mouth. Allegedly, Harmony asked a question. She asked, What you doing? According to her mother, she has a speech impediment due to Down syndrome. She was answered and then asked, what's that? According to her mother, when she said, what's that? It wasn't clear. I don't know what was going on in the mind of the substitute teacher, but she thought she cussed. And then she told Harmony to wash her mouth out with soap. Harmony said no and got scared. But the sub pressed and said, wipe your mouth. Harmony again refused. It was then that the sub put a napkin full of soap into Harmony's mouth. Miss Celestine says it happened before 10 a.m., but the school didn't notify her until 1 p.m. I'm not surprised. That's how some of them do. She said she received an email from the principal that said, Harmony hit the substitute across the face to stop her from putting soap on her mouth. The substitute hit Harmony back. A paraprofessional in the classroom intervened by having the substitute lead the classroom and she made sure Harmony was okay. If you are the parent of a child with highly specialized needs, I will tell you from experience, you have to be vigilant about your children. When my daughter transitioned from preschool to a new school, a teacher took my baby's lunches that I packed. At the time, she was on a gluten and casein-free diet. 
so I packed her lunches every day. She would take her lunches and not allow my daughter to eat. I didn't find out until I went for a parent-teacher's conference meeting. It was then that she disclosed, when Isis acts up, we take her lunch and we put it up there. And she waved her hand as if she were royalty. I looked in the direction that she waved her hand and it was a very high shelf at the time. Isis had been coming home and taking a lot of food out of the refrigerator, putting it on the table, stuffing her mouth. Sometimes she wouldn't eat all of the food, but she wouldn't allow us to remove the food from the table. And we didn't know why, because Isis is nonverbal. So when she said that, it all clicked. Here it was, I had been taking my baby back and forth to Akron Children's Hospital, making sure that they developed a plan for her because she had developed pica. Isis did not have pica before entering that classroom. I brought the behavior plan to an IEP meeting and asked that it be incorporated into her IEP. Hmm. Let me tell you what they did for me. But let me finish up what happened in this meeting first. I was enraged and I remember asking her, Who told you to do that? She didn't look up at me. She kept writing and she said something, muttered something. I said, no, no, no. Who told you to do that? And as I'm speaking, she slowly lifts her head and looks at me. And then it dawns on her. I was not playing with her. I said, these are lunches that I packed. What gave you the right to take my baby's food? And as a result, that means she's been hungry all day. That's why she comes home and hoards food. That's why she has developed pica. Hmm. I went to the principal. I remember she wore tall black go-go boots. So indecent to be a principal of a school. She did nothing about it. I took it to the superintendent. We had meetings. She did nothing about it. I brought in an advocate, and I'll never forget this. The school was predominantly white, and I took a black advocate. And this was about maybe the fourth meeting because I wanted something done about this woman and her assistants because they all did it. They all removed my daughter's food. So the teacher was sitting there and by this time she was no longer overconfident and haughty because she realized I was a smart mama and I wasn't going to let it go. I was like a dog with a bone. She gave me some lame excuse and said, yes, I made a mistake, but I won't do it again. I sometimes do that with my son. I said, well, My daughter is not your son. What you do with your son is your business. What you do with my daughter is mine. So the advocate looks at me and she goes, but she said she won't do it again. (laughs) That was my first lesson. Not all skin folk is skin folk. And when we got to that parking lot, I told her, you are fired. I no longer need your services. I took it to the board of education. And the board was reluctant to do anything about it because, again, this was a predominantly white area 
very affluent. I remember the head of the Board of Education telling me to never contact her office again. By this time, guys, I was tired. It had been almost a year. I was going up to that school every chance I got, especially around lunchtime, to make sure my baby ate. Finally, I had the idea to contact my state senator. I spoke to his aide, who was very nice. And when I finally got him on the phone and I told him who I was, what had happened to my daughter, I will never forget his words. He said, Miss Hannah, I don't know what I can do, but I'll go to that school for your daughter. And he did. And during that time, we didn't jump on a phone and look up the news. We still opened up a newspaper. So it was about two weeks after he went to the school. He did call me and let me know that he had had a meeting. I opened up the newspaper and on the front page, the headline read, superintendent steps down. Now, what was so significant about that was she had just signed a two-year contract. This district wanted her to stay on before this incident hit the light. And after she met with him, she stepped down to be a fly on the wall to see the look on her face when that senator walked into that school. I'd give my right arm for that. Now, this was before we moved to the district that had the principal with the long hair. These were completely different people, a completely different school district. But yeah, that was a battle that I won for my baby. And that battle earned me the nickname Hawk Smash. Because when I read the newspaper, I showed it to my daughter after she got home. And I said, Hawk Smash. Put it on Facebook and everything, and everybody was calling me the hawk. And I still am the hawk when it comes to my daughter. Still. When we moved down here to North Carolina, a teacher's assistant, I couldn't stand her from day one, twisted my daughter's arm behind her back. And I asked when I had a meeting with her and the then director of special needs, I said, who told you to do that? She gave me some lame excuse, but I said, mm-mm. I said, why didn't you use de-escalation? She looked me in my face and said, what's that? Because we live in a rural area. And I explained it to her. No, we don't do things like that. That's what she told me. I said, well, you're not going to twist her arm behind her back either. So I contacted my then congressman. I'm a very good writer. I spoke with his aide, wrote him a nice, long, detailed letter and filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education. A representative called me, and she said, Miss Hannah, you just can't come to North Carolina making waves. I said, oh yeah, watch me. Got him involved. Got another state senator involved. I was actually in Ohio when the senator's aide called me, and he told me he had contacted the investigators, who were looking into my daughter's case. Long story short, I won my case. And the outcome was, every professional be trained in de-escalation techniques for that school district. Because before me, they were not being trained in de-escalation. And I thought that was crazy. So, I know what it feels like to be in a position where you have to trust the school, 
yet be on guard because people are crazy. And I also agree with her when she says, if you don't have the patience to work in a classroom with special needs kids, disabled kids, or kids, period, you need to find yourself another profession. Oh, I agree with that statement. And that extends to direct care as well. If you do not have the patience to work with them in the school, at their homes, don't work with them at all because they don't need you. Now, the teacher no longer has a job, but she needs to be arrested because that was assault. The district released a statement and said, we are shocked and outraged by the actions taken by the substitute teacher. All school staff should care for students in a respectful manner that honors the partnership with their parents. The district has reported the incident to Child Protective Services and Humboldt ISD police are investigating. Good. The only one I trusted to protect my baby was me. But I did like her male teacher. If you listen to the episode where I talked about elopement, where Isis wandered away from the home and the principal and her then teacher came to my home and let me know. And Isis loved him. They actually came to my graduation when I graduated from Walsh. Good person. He's a good guy. And I hope he's still teaching. According to the district, the substitute teacher was a veteran. But that doesn't mean anything. These old school tactics that used to be used 20 years ago, 30 years ago, are antiquated. You're not allowed to touch others' kids especially kids with special needs. It's definitely assault, and I hope she's charged. It doesn't matter if you feel what you're doing is right. Sometimes you have to stop and think. And if not, you'll reap the consequences. And that leads me to our next stop, Dallas, Texas. A Dallas food truck owner is without a doubt reaping the consequences of her own selfish actions after she went viral on social media. I've mentioned before, there are people on TikTok whom I admire. They have built their platforms and they deserve their platform. And Keith Lee is one of them. If you haven't heard about Keith Lee, you've been living under a rock because he's a very popular food blogger. He goes around sampling food and blessing people through his reviews and finances. Keith says he and his family went to Sweetly Seasoned. He gave a $4,000 tip that the owner, Kim Viveret, kept. According to Keith, she was supposed to pay the barber and the braider, a brother and sister, $1,000 each. What's sad about this? Sweetly Seasoned was struggling. That's why he went to help her out. That's what he does. Well... As it turns out, the braider outed the owner on social media. She said, Then the owner turned around and stiffed my brother on his tip after I told her she could keep the money he left for me. Oh, but wait, it gets worse. Fiverrette hopped on social media and made a video and said Hodge, the braider, and her brother were not getting the tip that he left. And that caused Keith to post a video on TikTok explaining the situation. He said, I was never under the impression that the haircuts were free. Again, my family was watching on live. 
we knew that he was cutting hair for $40. So when we walked up and I said, I want to get a thousand to the barber to do free haircuts and a thousand to the braider to braid hair. It was because in the original video, Keith said he didn't appreciate how Viberette's son made the claim that he didn't say how the money should be dispersed. According to Keith, I thought and still think that that's a very clear statement, but it's being misconstrued in my opinion. Regardless of what was going on behind the scenes, I felt in my heart to do what we did. So, to disregard my heart and distribute the money how she felt necessary is 100% wrong, in my opinion. Now, after all that shucking and diving, the owner posted an apology on social media, stating, Sweetly Season will like to apologize. We thought and believed we were right, but unfortunately, we were wrong. This has been a huge miscommunication on our part and all funds are being released. She also posted a video, which I thought was my opinion. As I watched the video, the energy she gave off was mean, insincere, and just heartless. According to her, the braider refused to come back and get the money. I don't blame her. Here's the thing. Her business was struggling. Everybody watches Keith's videos. After he blessed her, her business would have been blessed even more because people trust his opinion. They would have gone to her establishment in droves. But for $2,000, she tanked her whole business because now people have seen her ugly side. And guess what? They don't trust her. And rightfully so. She was dragged so badly on social media, she had to disable her Instagram account. One posted under her video, too late, trying to steal $2,000 when you could have made that daily after Keith Lee blessed your business. It's crazy. And another comment, woman destroyed her whole business over $2,000. And that is truth. It's a telltale lesson. It's like I said in a previous episode. When you get the opportunity to be a game piece on the board, you better know how to maneuver yourself so that you'll come out winning. In this case, she tanked. And that leads me to our next story at our next stop, St. Louis, Missouri. A Starbucks barista says he was fired after he stopped a robbery. Michael Harris has filed a lawsuit against Starbucks because he said he was unjustly fired. He was working at a drive-thru when two robbers came into the store and began robbing customers. They also told him to give them the money in the register. Harris claims he was struck in the head with a gun by one of the robbers. He said it was then he realized the gun was a fake. He says the trigger for it was busted off and that's when we noticed and started to fight back. One of the robbers got away and one didn't. And shortly afterwards, he and the co-worker were fired. According to Harris's lawyer, they didn't create the dangerous scenario. They just did what they were supposed to do in that scenario. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm more inclined to agree with employee attorney Sarah Swatosh. She says, while Harris has a good case, his argument is on shaky ground. She says, It goes against our intuition 
that if we are helping, if we are being a good Samaritan, we won't be punished for it, but that's simply not true. Most stores and retailers have a no-chase policy. They won't let the employees stop thieves. The work comp risk is too high. The injuries are too high. And she's right. I also understand where Harris is coming from. He said, I tried to be the best person I could to help everybody. And while that's a good gesture, you have to stop and think. These companies, especially retailers, they have insurance. If people steal something, guess what? They're going to be covered. He should have just let the people take the money and go, especially after he realized the gun was fake. Because by fighting back, more people could have been injured and those injuries could result in multiple lawsuits against Starbucks. And that's what they want to stop. So I totally see where Starbucks is coming from. It just doesn't pay to be a honey ham hero or a champion for cheese. Like Harris, you might get fired. Or in a worst case scenario, you might get your tail whooped. Speaking of which, let me tell you what happened right here in North Carolina at a local food lion. A cashier spotted people who left the store with food they did not pay for. They wheeled the cart to their car, was placing the food in it, and this cashier decided he was going to be the hero of the day and stop them. Well, they slow walked him all around that parking lot. And if you don't know what that means, they beat him down. And when another cashier saw him catching hands over clearly insured food, he jumped in to help. Why? You're not going to get a raise or a promotion. The only thing he got was some lumps upside his head. And I'm sure that will teach him if he sees it again to mind his business. Now that might sound crude, but he'll be a lot healthier. When you see people stealing, leave them alone. Stores have cameras. They have insurance. They don't need you being a food avenger. And while I feel for Harris, I think Starbucks made the right call. Our last stop, Ontario, Canada. If you love weed, you might want to listen up. According to research, using cannabis may increase the risk of developing a new anxiety disorder or making a pre-existing one worse. Between January 2008 and March 2019, 27.5% of 12 million people visited the ER for cannabis use and developed an anxiety disorder for the first time in three years. According to Dr. Daniel Myron, cannabis users might go to the ER for multiple reasons, like hallucinations, being very high and disoriented, or for withdrawal. He says none of the people went to the ER for anxiety when they first showed up. Now, the data didn't say how much cannabis the patients used or what is considered to be a safe amount, but according to Dr. Myron, they were moderate to heavy users consumed strong forms of the drug, or both. The researchers also found that 12.3% of the cannabis users who had pre-existing anxiety but no record of being hospitalized visit the ER or were admitted to a hospital because their anxiety had worsened. 
The study claims anyone can be at risk, but the risk was greater for men up to age 24. He says there's a very strong correlation between patterns of cannabis use that require care in the ER and developing anxiety disorders. He also says psychosis and schizophrenia are correlated with heavy cannabis use. According to Shea Wood, using cannabis every now and then has little effect on anxiety disorders. The study is based on heavy cannabis users, not if you use it every once in a while. However, for young people, early use of cannabis is linked to more psychological symptoms. So it's important to delay the use of cannabis for as long as possible. Or just don't use it. No one's saying you shouldn't. Just pay attention because anxiety is no joke. Well, folks, we went to Texas, St. Louis, and Canada. And now, I'm out of time. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to follow us on Podbean, Spotify, Samsung, or wherever you listen from. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And before I forget, we have a contest going on Facebook and Instagram where you can win a free box of lip glosses. It's my way of saying thank you for always supporting 21 Blue Lash. The rules are posted on Facebook and Instagram, so be sure to enter. And good luck to all the contestants. Guys, the weekend is coming up, so you know what I want you to do. Be easy. Take care of yourselves. Have the best weekend ever. And as always, God bless.